If you'd like to follow along as I read this morning from our passage of Scripture, we'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 20 down through verse 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who had gone up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there, they heard it, that it thundered, and others, as an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the light, in the dark, does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. The central text of this passage is back in verse 32, where Jesus said, And I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we, we read a word that is true. And every part of it, meeting the need where we live. Thank you that we can take confidence in your words, in the Christ that you speak about. 
Lord, I pray that our hearts will be receptive to what you have to teach us. Lord, I pray you'd help me to speak the words as you would have me speak them. We would not just have a Bible lesson or gain information, but our, our hearts would be thrilled with Jesus and what He has done. And that You would give us hope and encouragement and belief. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Just a week ago, Sunday, Jonathan Farmer was speaking. You'll remember the service if you were here. His wife Sarah was with him, and they are what we call our global partners. They serve the Lord in Indonesia. You follow their life, is just incredible. They've been through a lot of trials, difficulties, testings, pain, struggle. And yet God has put them on an island in Indonesia where they are reaching a people that would not be reached otherwise. Do you remember seeing the percentages of those who know Christ in that area, it's, it's, it's less than 1%. It's like it's 0%. And of course, uh, their children were back home, weren't with them, but she was carrying uh, uh, her son. And uh, we just learned just a day or two ago that, that uh, after her doctor's appointment that that son has a hole in his heart. We've been through that here in our church with uh, little Addie but also has a chromosome exposing Down syndrome. And you know, when I heard that, I thought, Lord, how much much can people take? Uh, I trust you. I, I know you're sovereign. I know you're good. I know all of these things. But our small church, we've been through a lot the last several weeks. And one week we had three funerals and followed right after that, uh, Chad Wolf's death and Becca's just back from, from that, uh, tragic accident as, as a highway patrolman. And then you think, here's a young couple who have just laid out their lives. They have just given everything to serve the Lord, have given up riches and treasures and comforts and to tell people who would never hear about the gospel. And then, then this happens. And I do struggle with, with those things. I'm sure you do too, to try to, try to make sense of it. It's not that, that I'm not trusting that God, he, that He knows, he, he does know, He is sovereign. I know that He's promised to work good in all that He is doing. I do believe that. I just don't understand. And I, I, in preparing for today in the Lord's Supper, I was drawn to this text. In fact, we've had discussions over the last several weeks of this particular text when Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And I was thinking about this already. And to realize that when Jesus says this, when I am lifted up, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And what he is saying is that that Jesus and what he does in these coming chapters resolves every issue in life. He resolves everything. And Jesus Christ solves the problem. We, We talk about the problem of evil. I'm sure that you study that in philosophy class in school. The problem of pain. The problem of death, 
So how do we work through, how do we resolve this, the evil in the world today? How do we resolve the pain that, that seems to be so pervasive? How do we resolve this? But Jesus, as He is lifted up, resolves every single problem, every single issue in your life. Not immediately, but ultimately. We say, oh, if He did it immediately, as soon as, soon as He dies on the cross, then all sin is gone from the presence of the world. We have this gap between all that He has done and the fulfillment when He comes again, receives us to Himself, that we live in heaven, that, that gap between now and then where we still live in a fallen world and fallen bodies, we have sin all around us, and, and we have to exercise faith to believe, to trust in that, that He has resolved these things. You came with problems today. I came with problems today. We came with heavy things. A lot of things on our mind. Some other people know about, some no one else knows about, but you and God. You carry that weight. And sin has that effect. When I look at this text, though, I see such hope in what He is doing and working toward. I don't understand every detail of life, but I know how this ends. When I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. When you look at that verse and you look at all people, all people, he's lifted up and it's speaking, as he says in the very next verse, he's not speaking so much lifting up and exaltation as we immediately think, lift Jesus up, let's all lift Jesus up. He's actually being lifted up on a cross. And typically for the Jews, the way that they would execute someone was by stoning. They would throw them off a cliff and drop large stones on them. And so this was uncommon for Jews, but it was very common for Romans. And this being lifted up, stretched out on a cross, uh, is what he is speaking about. When he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Now, I think we know, whenever you look at a verse and you think, does that, what does that all people mean? You have to take it in context with the rest of the Scripture. And the best way to interpret Scripture is with other Scripture. Um, and so we know that he's not saying that if he's lifted up, every person in the world is going to become a Christian. That would be what we call universalism. In other words, everybody by force or by uh, God's just going to make everybody a Christian. No, he is lifted up. And those who believe, those who trust in Him will be saved. Not all men in the sense that, that every person that's ever been born. But what He is speaking about all people, if you go back to verse 20, He says, Now there were some Greeks among them who went to worship at the festival. This was the, the time of the Passover. In fact, what I love about the Gospel of John is that, that almost or over half of the book, is the last week of his life. A lot of emphasis on what we call the Passion Week. And this was, for the Jews, the week of the Passover. For some of you, you remember reading in the Old Testament how that when uh, Israel was captive in Egypt, 
and uh, the Lord is going to deliver them. That he, the Passover is when He passed over, and and every uh, son in the homes of those that believed and had put the blood in the, in the form of a cross on their doorposts was spared. And so they they remember that, and they have this Passover feast, and that's what people are coming for. And among all the Jews that were coming to Jerusalem were Greeks. And what's interesting is that that pretty much throughout the Scriptures, we're talking about the Jewish people and the Messiah being a Jew and Him coming to fulfill the promises. But what He is saying is, this offer of salvation is to all nations, all people, all tongues, all tribes, all races. It is indiscriminate. It is open to all. It is, it is consistent with when he says, whosoever will may come. I think the beauty of this, all people, is the expanded scope of the gospel that, it, that is far-reaching to the ends of the earth with the opportunity to come to Christ. That, to me, is so magnificent. It is so powerful. In John 1, we read that, he came unto his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. And then you'll see all through uh, the book of Acts and the New Testament that this gospel is offered to all, all people. He says, when I am lifted up, the time has come, as you read uh, with me in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So in the hour, not so much a, a literal hour, but we would, we would probably say the time has come. Jesus had made past statements before. He said, my hour has not yet come. The beginning of his ministry, my hour has not yet come. And then he would say, my hour is coming. But now he says, my hour is come that the Son will be glorified. And you'll notice how when he responds, the voice that comes from heaven and God says, I have glorified it, your name, and will glorify it again. Do you remember the times where we have this audible voice of God's approval? And I think of the, the birth of Christ when we hear the angels declare uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, good peace, goodwill to men. There, there's the affirmation and the glory of God revealed at his birth. There is the glory of God revealed at His baptism. When John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, the Father speaks His approval to His Son. At the transfiguration, when they're on the mountain, and Moses and Elijah and Jesus are there with the two other disciples, again, God confirms Him and His glory is revealed. But, but this experience now, all the fullness of time has come to this moment. This time and these next several chapters are really the the watershed event of all human history is when Jesus dies on the cross. And the time has come for him to be crucified. He says, when I am lifted up, of course he speaks about the, the death upon the cross and the glory of his death, which seems a bit unusual. I As I was going through slides and looking at different pictures of Christ uh, on a cross as we're, we're looking at putting a, a slide up. 
today. Some of them were very, very graphic. Um, hard to look at. I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to put that up <laughs> while I'm trying to speak. But the prophet Isaiah says that he was so disfigured, so bloodied, that he did not appear to be human. So how, how gruesome of a picture would that be if a person was so bloodied, so battered, so pierced, that we as a group looking at a picture could hardly recognize that as being human? That is, that is what it looked like. A lot of times we, of course, we sing on, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, and I've actually been to um, the place called the Skull, Golgotha, Calvary, and uh, the reason they call it the place of the skull, when you get there, you realize because it looks like a skull, a human skull carved out on the rock. You see the eyes, the nose, the mouth. I mean, it's just like, that's just really interesting. <laughs> and yet... Um, I don't believe that he was crucified with the other two on top. Um, and the reason is, is because they never did that with anyone else. The, the Romans, you know where they used to crucify people? You probably watched some of the other movies, <laughs> and uh, which, which are true to history. They would crucify people right on the road going into a city and out of a city, and right at eye level. So if you if you go there and you look at this skull and you're standing there looking at this skull and as you stand right in front of it you realize you're standing right in the middle of a bus station. Today it's a bus station. <laughs> and there is traffic just going by at this place. And so what I believe happened is 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 just like any other crucifixion. They're going to they're going to Put him, and he's going to be up off the. He's going to be lifted up off the ground, but but just a little above eye level. And he is going to have that disfigured form, hardly recognizable as a human, where every person walking by is going to be is right there. And the Romans did that to make an example of people and and to remind them of of those things. So here is Jesus, and. As we sang on the old rugged cross, a wondrous beauty I see. How can, how can we talk about a wondrous beauty? And I would say there is both, both an incredible beauty in this crucifixion and incredible power in this resurrection because at one time, all of God's wrath and all of God's judgment and all of God's justice against sin is poured out on His Son. And Jesus, by His atoning blood, resolves the problem of evil. He resolves the problem of sin by making Himself that sacrifice. And so the hour has come. He is stretched out. He is crucified. And if you look at verses 30 and 31, it, it speaks about the voice comes for the, the benefit of mine. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, which would be the devil, which would be Satan, will be driven out. And so the power of what Jesus is doing at this focal point of history 
is becoming sin for us, being a substitute, a sacrifice. When we, we in our sins, the whole world in their sins, uh, the consequence is death. Jesus has stepped in to take the penalty of death that you deserve and that I deserve upon himself. And he has offered that sacrifice and the problem of evil has been resolved. Now, as I said, positionally it is resolved. We still live in a world that is filled with sin. The next step after the resurrection, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the next step is him coming again and creating a new heavens and a new earth and where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no struggle. We see the struggle that Jesus had in verse 27. He says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour that I came. Father, glorify your name. And God is glorified most of all things in the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus. I believe this. Jesus is God. He is man. Is in the garden. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was recognizing the agony of becoming sin. I don't think so much it was the physical pain, though that was, I'm sure, a part of it, but the fact that He would become sin and that His Father would turn His back when He said, Father, why have You forsaken? My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? He goes through all of this experience to atone for that. So at the very end of this, Jesus again is speaking, verse 35, he says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer, so walk while you have the light. It's interesting how when he speaks about this this corn of wheat, um, the seed, and the seed... If it stays by itself, will stay by itself. It's just a single seed. But if but but if the seed goes into the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. And this is what Jesus has done in his death. In his death, produces much life. It is also a path for every believer to follow. To follow his direction, his guidance. So this is the hour. Darkness has come. Light has been revealed. And God is light. There are three words that I, I find all throughout the Gospel of John and through his writings and, and his, his uh, shorter letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. The word light, God is light. God is love. And God is life. His light, which is truth and holiness and purity. He shows us the way. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He is love. His love is fully expressed by His Son and giving of His Son. And He is life, that life is offered through His Son. All of these things have been given. And if there's one word that I would say would characterize the Gospel of John for our response would be to believe to believe. 
He asks people to believe. All through John, you're going to find this question, to believe. You know, as I step back and, and consider this, as we're going to be at the Lord's table, and then the reason He instituted this, this table of His body and His blood is for us to remember His death till He comes, to remember what happened till He comes. And what this does is it gives us hope and encouragement until His second coming when He returns for us. But the interesting part that I, that I find is at the beginning when he's, the Greeks are coming to him. And they, they come to Andrew and Philip, which I think is probably because they had Greek names. Uh, probably they could speak Greek. I'm not sure about that. But they, they particularly came to Andrew and Philip and they said, we want to have a meeting. We want to have an encounter with Jesus. There's something about Andrew. Every time you see Andrew in the New Testament, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every time. And I thought, that's exactly what we need to be doing. If we could describe what we do as believers in this world is directing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, like, like John the Baptist was. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. But everything I'm doing is, is pointing that direction. And so as, a, as an individual, collectively as a church, we would say making much of Jesus, lifting Him high, pointing the way to Him, helping people to see that in Him every problem is resolved. Every problem. And that He is accessible, completely accessible.